You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisedchurch.com. I need all of you to pray for me because today is a very crazy day. Today I am going camping. Thank you. You're all laughing at me. No one feels sorry for me. Uh, This is the first time that we've ever taken our children camping because we're normal. We have a house that has a very comfortable bed, clean bathroom, a toilet that's sanitized and clean. Um, It's it's warm at night, um, but we're ditching all of that to go sleep on the ground. We're completely normal people. Uh, Please pray. We need it. I need it. The good news is, is that we got everything packed up in one vehicle. Somehow. Somehow it's all in there. I don't know if it'll make it home. I don't know if my children will make it home. But hey, pray. Um, Real quick, how many people are thankful for what we're seeing in the parking lot out there? Come on. Uh, It's almost done. Landscaping is basically done. Uh, We're excited to make room for, for people. And uh, it should be ready to go by the time summer is over and this place is packed again. Uh, We will have room enough uh, to fill it. Um, We've got permits ready to build auditorium seating in the back of this room as well to make room for more seating. Because when we say we want to see cities saved, you've got to make room for cities to come in. Amen. And uh, actually, on just this last Friday, we had our very first vision night in Longview. And uh, we had about 100 people or so show up. And how many people were there? Raise your hand if you were there. Awesome. You must all come to second service or you're all watching online because you're like, I'm not driving to Woodland. And, uh, uh, but be praying. We launched September 19th. September 19th, uh, our, our building, you need to intercede that our building gets done. Praise God. Um, that uh, everything gets completed. So please be praying over those cities. If you are part of Longview and you have not yet, text the word Longview to a number that will be on your screen at some point throughout the day, 208-8668. Hey, 208-8668. Just text the word Longview. Amen. Amen. You guys ready? So uh, uh, last year, uh, sometime in the last year, probably the second quarter, the Lord began to speak to me, and he, he asked me a question. He said, Aaron, why are you not leading your church? And I said, wow, Lord, thank you. Um, I thought I was. Uh, in what way, uh, oh, great one, am I not leading this church? And he said, well, a leader is not scared to talk about things that feel uncomfortable or that make other people feel uncomfortable. A leader is willing to take people from where they are to where they need to be and is not scared about what people may think about that process. And he began to speak to me about a series that we did last year called Breaking the Silence. And in that series, we talked about a couple of different things. We talked about racism. We talked about politics, uh, which were amazing. Received great text messages and emails after the fact, had wonderful conversations. In fact, earlier last year, I did three weeks on money and finances. So it was just an awesome year full of great communication from all of you. And, um, but how many people know that it's time for the church to not be silent on specific issues? Everybody else is talking about it. It's time that the church 
begins to talk about these things. And so a couple of months ago, the Lord spoke to me, said, Aaron, it's time to break the silence again. And I want you to speak on homosexuality and Christianity. And uh, I, I immediately at that moment, I begin to research and to read because to be quite honest with you, I felt like I was immature in the understanding of what the word of God said in relating to the subject. And I begin to study and I actually, uh, a book was recommended to me. It's called Gay Awareness by a pastor in Texas. His name is Pastor Landon Schott. I would highly recommend you buy this book and read it. We've purchased many of them as a church and handed them out to many different individuals in our body who have a family member or, or who have questions regarding this particular topic. And I would encourage you to read it. Uh, but I want to make something very clear today that there are two main reasons why I'm speaking about this. Reason number one is because God loves gay people. God loves gay people. And reason number two, can you all just, first of all, can you all just love one of our very good friends, Pastor Jeff Hastings, who is here from up north. Come on, you can do better than that. Many of you don't know him, but he's a dear friend of ours. He happens. You chose a great Sunday. So reason number one is because God loves gay people. Reason number two is because I love gay people. This is why we are talking about this today. And we live in a very confused world, uh, and we need biblical clarity in a sexually confused time. We need to know what Scripture says about the topic of homosexuality. My Bible says that God is not the God of confusion, but a God of peace. And in today's world, we don't need confusion. We need clarity and understanding of what the Word of God says. Amen. I feel like we should probably pray. Jesus. Come on, where are my prayer warriors at? Begin to pray. Holy Spirit, Father, we thank you that you're in this room. Father, we thank you that you're going to come and remove lies and misunderstandings. God, that you're going to come and bring biblical clarity today. It's in truth that freedom comes. So, Lord, let truth be coming today like a two-edged sword and pierce every heart, break every lie in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you make us a church where the world can come in and be loved and accepted and redeemed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I can tell you the devil really does not want me to talk about this today because for the past couple of months I've been feeling incredible attacks sexually uh, prior to this message. In fact, I know even as I'm speaking this today that many of you are going to feel awkward. Maybe you're going to feel angry. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to want to leave. So before we begin, everybody just take a big deep breath. Just breathe in. Just relax. God loves gay people. God loves all people. In Romans, it says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. It did not say while you were yet heterosexual sinners. And how many people know we got a lot of heterosexual sinners in this church? Come on, somebody. The reason why the church has lost its voice in the gay community is because of heterosexual sin and hypocrisy in the church. And we're so focused upon pointing out the speck in someone else's eye that we forget about the plank in our own eye. And we've got a little slogan on the mantle in our living room that says, uh, God's chosen person or a child of God. Yet if they watched what was on our TV or what we looked at on our phones, it'd be fornicator of the world. 
So we profess one thing with our mouth, but our life doesn't look anything like it. And if you read your Bible, it says that we're in a new covenant. And in that new covenant, if you so much as even lust after someone, it's as if you've committed adultery. Jesus died for the heterosexual and the homosexual sinner. He died for everyone. And God is looking for a people who actually love those around them. And not be so consumed with pointing out the speck in their eye just because their particular flavor of sin is not yours. Just because you have a different flavor of sin doesn't mean you can judge. And the Holy Spirit is saying you will not reach them if you do not love them. Let me say this very clearly. At the Promised Church, we love gay people. At the Promised Church, we love the gay community. We love them enough and we love you enough to talk about this today. And let me be very clear, nobody is judging anybody. There is no judgmental spirit in this room. I, my son is nine. If you have kids in this room and you're concerned about them hearing this topic today, no, no, no worries. Take them out or put them in class. It's totally understandable. My son knows what we're talking about today. My eight-year-old who just turned eight, Charlie, we have talked about homosexuality on numerous occasions. You want to know why? Because the world is talking about it. Every single person in the world today is talking about it except the church. In 2008, Katy Perry wanted to let everybody know she kissed a girl and then she liked it. And then Lady Gaga took the banner and she said that she was born this way. And then Caitlyn Jenner says, hey, I'm a Christian, but I have a sex change and now I'm a woman. And then ESPN comes out with a cover story just a couple weeks ago about some female basketball player who was once gay. And then God told her now she was non-binary. She's neither male nor female because God told her. You can look at every social media feed, watch any news story. You can go on any sports channel and you will see a world celebrating a gay community. But nobody in the church is talking about it because the world looks at the church and says, if you so much as say anything, you're just judging us. Am I right? We know this to be true. And it's time... That the promised church becomes very, very clear. It's time for us to become very, very clear on what we actually believe. One of my best friends growing up, I went over to his house many, many times. I actually visited him when he was in college. We um, had sleepovers regularly. He was actually a groomsman in my wedding. And nine years ago, he came out as gay. And at the time when he did, I, to be quite honest with you, I... I didn't really know what to say. I didn't know what to communicate. I didn't know how to. I'd been in church my entire life, and I knew what the Bible said, but if somebody asked me to actually communicate it, I wouldn't know what to say. So maybe you, you have an idea of what the Bible says, but today we're actually going to look at it. The Great Commission is not about making decision cards. The Great Commission is to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. To obey what? The Word of God. How can you teach them to obey the Word if you don't know what it says? What would you physically look like if you only ate as much as you read your Word? 
And this is the way many Americans look like who are in church today. They look malnourished, weak, spiritually starving. This is why we're talking about this today, because we need to know what the Word of God says, and we need to be able to refute false teaching. So I want to give you three mistakes that the church makes when it comes to homosexuality. Three mistakes. Mistake number one is that we think that homosexuality is the greatest sin. We think that homosexuality is the greatest sin. Let me be very clear. If you are here and you struggle with same-sex attraction, no one is judging you. If you are here and you've had a past of homosexuality, nobody is judging you. I'm not throwing stones at you today. I'm merely going to read the Bible. Nobody is judging you. I know you may know in Scripture that it talks about how homosexuality is an abomination. But the Bible talks about a lot of things that are abominations. In fact, in Proverbs 6, it lists a lying tongue it lists a prideful, arrogant heart as an abomination. So if you are a lying person with pride in your life, you're an abomination. Homosexuality is not the greatest sin. Pride is the greatest sin. The Bible talks about how the Lord opposes the proud. That Satan fell from heaven because of pride. That pride comes before destruction. That actually the Hebrew of God opposes the proud means that you are an enemy of God. Proverbs 6 says, God hates a haughty look. Not an H-O-T-T-Y, babe, you looked haughty today. But an H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Some of you were like, what? Because, babe, you're looking fine today. Sorry. Just had to lighten the mood. Pride will keep you from repentance. Pride will keep you from a relationship with God. Isn't it interesting that the slogan of the homosexual community is pride? That's their label. Homosexuality is not the greatest sin. And when you think that, you demonize individuals rather than demonizing the devil. Number two, mistakes the church makes. The church is scared speechless to address homosexuality. And the church is scared because we don't want to be called bigoted. We don't want to be called homophobic. And so we choose not to say anything. But let me tell you something. You cannot be intimate with the world and intimate with Jesus at the same time. They hated Jesus. And he looks at us and he says, and they will hate you too. But not because of you, but because of him. That you will be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It does not matter how you say the truth. They will not like you because of it. Now, it helps to not be a jerk. And can I just say something for a moment? Your little one-liners in the comment section on social media ain't helping nobody. Oh, God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. Nobody is helped because of those one-liners. The only way somebody is going to change is by relationship. Not by you throwing stones on social media. Number three. Number three mistakes the church begins to make is they begin to affirm it. 
You cannot affirm what God does not affirm. You cannot call blessed what God does not call blessed. Oh, but what if they love each other? What if they, can't they, can't they just live together? What's, what's, what's the matter? Because the world's definition of love and God's definition of love are two very different things. God defines love as denying yourself. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about lo- a lot about love, but it doesn't mention anything about sex except that love does not delight in evil. See, some people will be like, well, I really love God. But then they'll be like, well, I really love ice cream. So what you're telling me is you feel the same way about Rocky Road as you do about God? See, the world defines love as a feeling or as phileo love. God defines love as a choice, agape love. And the world is promoting a love that's based on feeling. Well, I feel this way. I'm inclined in this way. How many people are thankful that God loves in an agape way? Because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood, he wasn't feeling like going to the cross. In fact, he said, God, if if you could take this comfort me, please take it. But he chose because he loved you. Love is a choice and it is not a feeling. John 4 says that God is love. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You won't feel like it often, but you will obey them. We think that the epitome of love is a sexual experience. But yet God defines love in a very different way. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says love is patient It is kind, it is never jealous or envious, it's never boastful or rude or proud. In fact, a couple verses later, it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Rejoices in the truth. We should be rejoicing in the truth, not embarrassed by it. Not trying to alter it so somebody else feels uncomfortable because of it. So today I want to show you six scripture verses in the Bible that talk about homosexuality. There's six of them. There's three in the Old Testament and three in the New Testament. We're going to look at all six of them today. But before we look at them, let me just say this. As a church, our response to the gay community needs to be this. We need to be unrelenting in our love to them. And we need to be unwavering in our loyalty to the word of God. We need to be unrelenting in our love and unwavering in our loyalty to the word of God. We must approach with grace and truth. If all you have is grace, you have a very lawless society. If all you have is truth, it's legalism. But when grace and truth marry, you have the mercy of God. Jesus goes to the woman caught in adultery. And he approaches her with grace. He brings truth. And then he says, now go sin no more. We must approach with love. At the Promise Church, we exist here. We say this all the time. We exist to see life transformed, city saved, and nations won by being people of his presence. If we want to see cities saved, we must be a place where the drug addict, the homosexual, the prostitute feel as if they can come into this building. On, on Easter service, I preached a message that was very poignant. It, was, it, it didn't 
shy around righteousness. I, I talked about homosexuality amongst a whole variety of other things. And that Sunday, we had an individual, a man, come forward and respond to salvation. He was once married. He had left his wife, and he had gone to live with a boyfriend. He began to live a homosexual life. He came forward, got saved. He went into another room. And with a pastor, called his boyfriend, broke up with his boyfriend over the phone, and has since re-reconciled with his wife. At the Promise Church, we want to create a place where we don't water down truth. We speak truth, but we speak it in love. It's not our job. It's not my job to turn somebody's heart. If they're ready to turn towards the Lord, they will turn. Whether they're dealing with pornography, whether they're cheating on their spouse, whether they're dealing with lying, whether they're dealing with lying on their taxes. Oh, that one's in the Bible in case you forgot. Oh, man, I thought God gave me that creative way to lie. No, that's, that's called a sin. I feel the same way inside right now. So there are six scripture verses. And maybe you're like, oh, really, only six? Is that all? Like, I thought that there would be more. Did you know there are only five scripture verses about communion? But nobody stood up the last time we did communion and said, hey, pastor, there's only five. There's six. If there was only one, that should be enough for any dedicated believer and follower of Jesus. So number one, Genesis 19. Genesis 19, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a story where uh, two angels come to meet Lot. And they meet Lot and his family. And Lot quickly brings them into his home because he doesn't want anything to happen to them. And then all of a sudden all the men in the city come and they start banging on, on Lot's door saying, Hey, send out those men so that we can have sex with them. And Lot says, no, 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 don't, don't do it. And the angel said, you need to leave because we're going to destroy this land. Let me show you this in, in Genesis 19. Lot says, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. Can we just say the worst father in the history of mankind? But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. This is exactly what the world still says today. Why are you judging us? The exact same response that they had to Lot is the exact same response that they'll have to you today. And the argument against this scripture, why this does not apply, why people will say that this scripture is wrong, is because they will say this is not heterosexual sin, this is not rape, this is actually the sin of inhospitality. Today I want to show you all the arguments against these six scriptures. The world will say, people in the church will say, the reason Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed was because of the sin of inhospitality. And they get this from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 through 50, that talks about the sin of inhospitality. But it also mentions abominations. And I haven't met anybody who's read Genesis 19 and said that the reason that that was happening was because of the sin of inhospitality. In fact, anywhere in scripture that you read about abominations, inhospitality is never mentioned. And anywhere you read in the New Testament about Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's that they were destroyed because of their grotesque sexual immorality. 
not because of the sin of inhospitality. In Jude 1, verse 7, it says in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve it as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. Thank you. That would have changed that scripture drastically. Aaron quoted out of context. If you were a volunteer... At, at the Promise Church, which there's like, I don't know, 150, 200 of you. You all came to our, thank you, by the way. You're awesome. Uh, you came to our volunteer appreciation dinner uh, in January. And Jeremy uh, put a montage together of Aaron out of context. And he clipped all these pieces of my messages where I would say something. Gen- generally, it was out of jest. And uh, he just, just clipped them in. Like one time I was joking, talking about something. I was like, I'm going to go murder someone. And he just, and then one time I was like, if you don't tithe, you're going to hell. And uh, it was terrible. Like, just that alone without everything else around it, it sounds really bad. So, another verse is 2 Peter 2, verse 8, where it talks about their lawless deeds. And the scripture also talks about the individuals who are engaged in abominations. So, number one is Genesis uh, chapter 19, number two is Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, verse 22, and it says, You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, an abomination is a heightened sin. And we need to be aware when the Bible talks about abominations because we do not want to do them. Now, the argument against this scripture is that all sin is the same. If you're wondering where I'm getting these arguments from, this is what people in the world will try to do to argue that there is homosexuality allowed in the Bible. So these arguments uh, you may have heard before. If you know somebody who struggles with same-sex attraction, they will try to refute Scripture with these arguments. And the argument against this Scripture is that all sin is created equal. And where they get this from is in James 2.10, which says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But let me say this. If you sin, you are in the category of sinners. But not all sin is created the same. Let me give you an example. If I was working one day, well, I work. So let's imagine I was working. When I work, I'm at work, and I call my wife and I say, hey, babe, I'm not going to be home on time. I'm going to be late. I just wanted to give you a heads up. And then I come back to the house later, and I come to her, and I say, Tash, I'm so sorry. I just need to confess something. Uh, I wasn't actually working late. I was playing basketball. She'd be like, why are you lying to me? Do not lie. She would, I would repent and she'd probably chastise me and be like, Aaron, that is not how a marriage stays strong. And I'd be apologetic and, and we'd reconcile it. But if I came back and said, hey, babe, the reason why I wasn't uh, actually here, the reason why I was late is because I was hanging out with prostitutes, that conversation would go differently. A whole lot different. I'd be the first eunuch pastor. (laughs) Let me give you a scripture reference. David. David sins with Bathsheba and two people die. 
David directly goes against the instructions of the Holy Spirit and counts all of Israel and 70,000 people die. Two people die, 70,000 people die. Not all sin is created equal. When you directly go against the instructions of the Holy Spirit, you need to be very, very careful because it's leading you down a very dark path. Number three, Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus 20, verse 13, it says, If a man lies with a man, with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. The argument against this is that we're not under the law anymore. Isn't it interesting that whenever somebody uses this argument, it's because they don't want to do something, like tithing? As my brother just mentioned this morning, well, I'm not under the law anymore. Great. How much more do you want to give? Because of the new covenant, everything's greater. Oh, no, just, you want to find me one scripture where Jesus or anybody in the, in the Bible says you don't need to tithe? I'll wait. Forever. Because there isn't one. In the new covenant, you don't get to pick and choose what you don't want to do. You don't get to look at the law and say, well, I just don't feel like following that, so I'm not under the law anymore. Like, no one ever says, well, I just hate that individual, so I'm not under the law, I want to go murder them. But we do it on certain other things that we feel uncomfortable with participating in. In the old covenant, you couldn't kill someone. In the new covenant, you can't hate someone. In the old covenant, you couldn't commit adultery. In the new covenant, if you so much as lust after someone, you are committing adultery. See, and then somebody will get really, really smart and they'll Google something and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm not under the law because you, I don't, you know, are you going to eat shellfish? Are you going to wear mixed patterns? And they feel really smart because they Googled something, right, Jeff? Yeah. And what they don't understand is there are cultural prohibitions and universal prohibitions in Scripture. And I'm so glad I'm not ruled by Jewish dietary laws because I really like shrimp and I really like tacos. Can I get an amen from somebody? But Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 talk about universal prohibitions. And this is where when the Israelites were, were coming into the land and God was judging all the nations, he was judging them because of their sin, their sin of the universal prohibitions. They weren't getting judged because they were eating shellfish and wearing skinny jeans with holes in them. Romans chapter 1 is number 4. Romans 1, God's wrath. Romans 1, 26 through 28 says, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Isaiah said that there will come a time where good is called evil and evil is called good. Church, that is the day that we are living in. This scripture is so obvious and it's in the New Testament. That should be enough. 
the argument against it is the shameful us. And they'll say, but what if I'm in a, a consensual monogamous relationship? But see, that's not what the Bible is talking about. And they'll say, well, show me one scripture where Jesus talked about homosexuality. Exactly. Because he talked about marriage. And he talked about family. And he talked about creation and order. And the other argument will be, well, you're talking about uh, unnatural attractions, unnatural relationships. Well, what if I'm born this way? What if I am born a homosexual? Well, what if I'm born a jerk? I'm not... I'm not teasing, I'm just being honest. Isaiah, or sorry, Psalms 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So if somebody comes to me and says, You don't understand, from the moment I was a child, I have had same-sex attraction. I would believe them. Just as the devil tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby, just as the devil tries to kill so many babies today with abortion, the devil wants to kill you the moment you are conceived in your mother's womb. So it doesn't matter what type of sin or temptation you were born with. Many men are born with a perverted spirit. Many people are born with a lying heart or a deceptive heart. It does not matter what you are born with. That's why we all must be born again. Because when we are born again, we leave the old behind and we step into a new creation. The past is gone and I'm remade new again. That's why when we talk about binary, I'm non-binary. I don't identify as a man or a woman. You must go back to the foundation of creation. How were you born? The devil will come in and twist and manipulate to try to force your hand and try to tell you what the Bible really says. And he'll try to intimidate you from speaking the truth. Some people will will say, well, can I be a gay Christian? Or they will call themselves a gay Christian. It is impossible to be a gay Christian. Just as the same way you cannot call yourself an adulterous Christian, a lying Christian. You can't take your sin and place it before your identity as a child of God. There is no place in scripture that endorses homosexuality, that endorses sin. So to take your sin and place it in front of your identity as a Christian is false is impossible. You cannot be a gay Christian. And when you live in unrepentant sin, that is a pathway to hell. First Corinthians six, verse 11. We just read this. It says, and this is what some of you were. Put that back up there, Ruth. Verse 11. And some of you were this. Sorry, I, I, I'm going to get to it right now. I know I jumped ahead. Put it up there. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, or immoral which would be homosexual, oh, I'm sorry, heterosexuals, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, which would be those who cheat when they're married, nor men who practice homosexuality, will inherit the kingdom of God. Sexual sin will lead you straight to hell because you are sinning against the temple of the Holy Spirit. It just got really quiet. The argument against this scripture, which this is number five, 1 Corinthians 6, 6. 1 Corinthians 6. The argument against this is that, well, homosexuality was just added in 1946 in the NIV Bible. Which maybe some of you are like, whoa, it was? What? They have been lied to my whole life. This is a smokescreen by the world because all of the English words were added into the Bible at a certain time. Because it was written in Greek and Hebrew. The, or Arabic or whatever it was written in. The word homosexual was actually created in the 1880s. The word. But see, it's important to understand that the word is irrelevant. It's what it is talking about. It is the action. In the original Greek, it is referencing, put these words up there, Ruth. Malakis, which means soft. And arsenikoites, I believe I'm saying it right, which is male bed partners or male partners. Which when these two words are added together literally means a man who penetrates another man. It does not matter whether the word was not in there. It's what it is actually implying. It is the action that it is talking about. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 it says this. It was what I was implying before. Is this is what some of you were but you were washed. So you may have acted in the lifestyle. But when you accept Jesus, he washes you clean. He redeems you. And he calls you to follow him. The old is gone and the new has come. So to say, I am a gay Christian, is basically to take your dead man on back as your identity. You cannot do that. You've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus then. We can have the band come up. Number six is 1 Timothy 7. It's false teaching. This talks about false teaching and that false teachers are going to begin to come. It talks about homosexuality and what we are to do with false teachers. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers, pastors, prophets, Facebook theologians, and all the like to say what their itching ears want to hear. The Bible is so clear. So why are we all confused? Why is the church in America confused? Because the devil is the author of confusion. In Luke 8, it says that he is the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians 11, 14 through 15, it says the devil masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. It should not surprise us when the devil tries to come into the church to twist scripture to benefit his agenda. It actually tells us to be aware of it. That he's going to try to come in and take sin and call it righteousness. In Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the garden. In the same tactic... That the devil used with Adam and Eve is the same tactic that he is using today, which is this. Did God really say? Did God really say that? Did God really say you couldn't do that? 
You know, because I found these people and they're two really nice individuals and they really love each other. Why can't, why can't they be together? Because I can't tell them what they can't do. And they seem like great people. And why would I come in a judgmental way towards them? Did God really say that? Did God really say the gate was narrow? The roadway was narrow? Can't we widen out? Because they're really great people. And this argument is used again and again and again by the devil to try to change what you believe that the Bible actually says. If you are living in heterosexual or homosexual sin, you are on a pathway to hell. I just read you scripture after scripture after scripture. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm here to bring truth. That is it. Second Corinthians 11, three through four. It says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Let us be so sensitive that when a gospel is communicated different than what's in our Bible, our antennas go up and we reject it. But we cannot know that if we do not know what is in here. We must be students of the word of God. I'm, I told you earlier, when my friend came out as gay, I didn't even know what to say to him. I didn't. I grew up in church. I didn't even know what to say. I couldn't have even told you the scriptures in the Bible that talked about it. Do you know? And my question to the gay community is, find me one. Find me one scripture. There's 31,000 scriptures in the Bible. Find me one where Jesus or Paul or Moses or David or Abraham or a prophet or a minor prophet or a cupbearer, anybody who embraced homosexuality and endorsed it. You cannot find one scripture. In fact, the only way to find a scripture is to close your Bible and to open the satanic Bible because in there you'll find five. You'll find five scriptures in the satanic Bible that endorse homosexuality. So if the world celebrates it and the church of Satan authorizes it, why would God's people align themselves with it? my heart breaks because I realize that the church has made such a lifestyle of being so defiant to get something that we don't know how to embrace and love people and so what we do is we act like immature Christians and we stand up and we hate and we throw stones and we're judgmental all the while Jesus shows us a perfect example of what to do to somebody caught in sin he comes to the woman called adultery and he stands between them and the church if you're going to throw stones at her you're going to hit me as well All we do is we hide behind truth, but we don't act in love. In fact, we hide behind immature truth because we really don't even know what the Bible says. Just stand with me. It does not matter whether you deal with heterosexual sin, 
homosexual sin. It does not matter what temptation or sin you've been dealing with. Your sin is not your identity. The only identity that Christ has for you when you come into the kingdom of God is a child of God. That is the identity of Christ. And what the world has tried to do is to twist identity year after year after year. And it will manipulate you. It will lie to you. And you begin to question who you really are. The world is questioning who they really are. God is the God of the prodigal son. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, this is a young man who comes to his father and he leaves his father. He takes all of his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it. He goes and lives in sin and debauchery. He goes and lives with prostitutes. He goes and gives, uh, throws everything away. And then he finds himself there in sin in the world and he's wondering to himself, will I ever be accepted back in? Why would my father ever want me back into his family? And so he devises a plan. He thinks, I'll go back to my father and I'll just be a servant in his house because his identity has been destroyed. Because the world has confused him because the world has lied to him and he's lost his identity. And then he runs back to his father and on his journey back to his father, while his father sees him from a long distance off, let me read this for you. While his father sees him from a long distance off, he's filled with compassion for him. He runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Maybe you've been struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe you're steeped in heterosexual sin you're addicted to pornography you've been cheating on your spouse and you're wondering to yourself would God ever love me still would he ever forgive me I was addicted to pornography for years God can redeem you he can save you and he can set you free to where you don't struggle any longer and as the son says to his father father I've sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son there's his lost identity he doesn't even think he's a son any longer But the father doesn't even respond to him. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. And let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. When you come back to Jesus, he says, you're not a servant. You're not a slave. He redoes his identity and calls him a son. Your sin does not define you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in this room and you've been struggling with same-sex attraction, maybe today, maybe it's in your past and you're living with guilt and shame, you're struggling with heterosexual sin, you're addicted to pornography, you've been cheating on your spouse, you are perverse in your thoughts and in your ways, and you want to be free today, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody else, raise your hand. If you are addicted to sexual sin, if you're, if you're, living in a same-sex relationship even if you're watching if you are if you are struggling 
with sexual perversion, if you've been struggling with same-sex attraction and you're, you feel guilty, you don't even know why. Raise your hand. Raise it. Raise it. I understand that this can be very sensitive, especially if you're, if you're married. For those of you who raised your hands, I want everybody to pray with me right now. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to put your hands out. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this room. Father, I ask right now that you would come and bring healing in Jesus' name. For those of you who raised your hands, I want you to begin to repent to the Lord. Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Holy Spirit. Forgive me. Lord, I pray that they would begin to see themselves the way that you see them. Lies that have been believed. Lord, remove them in Jesus' name. Lies that have strongholds in their lives come and bring freedom in the name of Jesus. That they would see themselves the way that you see them. A new identity deposited into their hearts today. God, I thank you that you are redeeming minds. I thank you that you're redeeming hearts today in Jesus' name. Come and redeem. Come and redeem, Holy Spirit. Everybody look at me. If you raised your hand, I want you to come to me, Pastor Jonathan, one of our pastors after church. I want to honor you this morning. And I just want you to come afterwards and I want you to come talk to us. If you want to be free, if you want to move past this, I need you to commit to take that next step to get help. I pray that we would be a people, Father, who love without judgmentalism, who love unconditionally as you do, who run towards the unloved, who run towards the hurting, who run towards the abused and the confused. Lord, make us be a city set on a hill, a lighthouse of hope and restoration. God, make us be a people, Lord, who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, but stand confidently on the foundation of Jesus, that we know what the word of God says. We communicate it in love. God, that we would be a people where the hurting and the hopeless are drawn, where the homosexual, where the drug addicts, where those who are addicted would come and find hope and restoration here. God, make us be a people who don't bow and cave to the world, but God, we stand on truth of the word of God. Jesus, we want them, Lord. God, I ask for them. God, where other churches don't know what to do with them, bring them here. Bring them here, Lord. God, I want to sit next to homosexuals. I want to sit next to the forgotten and the hated. I want to sit next to them. God, bring them to this church. God, make us be a place where you can trust. Bring them here, Lord. God, that we would know how to walk out in grace and truth and mercy. If you're struggling with love for homosexuals, if you're struggling with love for anybody living in sin, I just want you to place a hand on your heart. 
I'm placing my hand on mine. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, help me to love others the way that you love them. God, help me to run after those who are forgotten. God, help me to run after those who are forgotten and thrown aside the, where the church has hurt them, where the church has forgotten about them. God, help me to love them. God, help me to embrace them. Give me compassion in Jesus' name. Give me a love, an unrelenting, unwavering love to the homosexual and a loyalty to the word of God. God, help us as a church to not cave to criticism or to persecution, but to love and to stand on the word of God. Father, we just pray over our community, over Woodland, over La Center, Kalama, Richfield, Longview, Kelso. We extend our hands to Portland in Jesus' name. You did not place us in Woodland by accident, but God, you placed us here to be a light to Portland. So God, we say, send us in Jesus' name. We will go. Send us that Jesus is the name above every name that penetrates darkness. And wherever light goes, darkness must flee. So we pray right now over the bondages, over the principalities and the spirits of darkness, over this Pacific Northwest area. Be broken in the name of Jesus. Sexual purity be restored in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you make the darkness tremble. So we declare the name of Jesus. We declare holiness and righteousness and purity in the church. In Jesus' name, that the church will not cave to sin, but it will live a life of holiness and righteousness. In Jesus' name, freedom in the house of God. Come on, church, let's just begin to sing this. I want you to begin to sing this over your family, over this region. You make the darkness tremble. We declare the name of Jesus that silence all fear. 